Hey, welcome to the 68th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are talking amongst ourselves again. Matt is really thick in the throes of production and has some really interesting stories of what's going on with him this week. So we decided to eschew a guest. Is that how you say that word? Yeah. Uh, to not have a yeah. guest and to just uh, find out what's going on with us, mainly with Matt. I'm going to call this uh, The Show Must Go On Part 2, because just like when you had your crazy Go90 shoot, where you had uh, all sorts of crazy life events, mine weren't life events, but I had uh, numerous obstacles all in a row that I had to overcome, you know, for kind of like nine days of shooting, um, kind of in the middle of everything. So... I think there's a ton of interesting lessons, at least a couple good stories. It's a, I had a couple weeks filled of um, huge surprises, so I think it's going to be a fun one to get into. Cool. But before we do that, Oren, what yes. have you been working on lately? Uh, well, it's been actually a little bit slow. I've been up for a lot of jobs. I've been put my, I've been on hold for a job every single week for the upcoming like nine weeks. But I haven't actually booked any of those jobs. I was up for a really long project that was going to shoot in New Mexico for a month. Uh, I found out the other day I didn't get that. So it's kind of, you know, I kind of feel like an actor (laughs) because it happens to my wife all the time. She's on hold for a job. She goes to an audition. She's so excited. She might get it. She doesn't make any plans in her life. And then somebody else gets it. So that's just the freelance lifestyle that we got to get used to. But I did work on something... A few uh, last week, I shot something. Was it last week, the week before last week, that had a bunch of celebrities in it. Had like Sarah Silverman and Jack Black and yeah, um, some other people. But it was like a low, very, very low budget commercial, like a no budget. They were all doing it as a favor, and we edited it. I was really excited because it's always nice to have those faces on your reel, you know, or on your website. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we thought it was really funny. It kind of, the whole commercial is kind of like we were going for dumb funny, you know, just having people mm-hmm. say dumb things and pretend they're excited about things that aren't really exciting. And the client just, he, that's just not his sense of humor. He doesn't appreciate dumb funny. I think his, you know, uh, and so he made us cut all the <laughs> dumb funny stuff. And so it's a little, a little bit of a bummer. Um, but I don't know. It it made me like just every time I work on a commercial, I'm just reminded why indie film is so satisfying because, you know, on a commercial, you just ultimately you just have to do what the client wants. And sometimes there's a director's edit and there's kind of your version of things. But you're you're just kind of a cog in the system that is trying to sell something. And even if you think something is should be presented in a certain way and you have your kind of like art, your opinion on the art of filmmaking, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, you know, the client just right. tells you exactly what they want. So, you know, I don't know. I've been, I've been a little bummed on commercials lately because they're just so hard to get and you work so hard to almost get them. And then when you do get them and you're really excited about them, they, you know, you never have final say on a commercial. That's right. just like almost the opposite idea of directing a commercial. So, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm having a reflective couple of weeks. A reflective couple of weeks. You know, what's funny to me is that I think that the last time we recorded, 
you were coming in hot off of like three or four commercial jobs all in a row. Yeah. And you still had this, like you, you're downplaying how many celebrities were in it. There, It's like six or seven, like huge stars are in this, this piece that you did. Yeah. Right? Well, Arnett's in it, Adam Pally, um, this guy, Alexi Lawless, the soccer player, uh, and Sarah Silverman. Yeah. Right? Sarah Silverman, Jack Black, uh, yeah, Jack Black. So huge stars. So it, what to me, what's funny to me about this is like, it's a point that we hammer home, home on the show all the time, but a director's life is always ups and downs like this. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really fascinating that, you know, last, last episode you had, you'd had like an incredible couple shoots. You were having a great time. You had a new cool job lined up. And now today you're feeling a little down and you'll, get a phone call tomorrow. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? Th- at the beginning I, of this week, I told Kara, I was like, Kara, I'm up for like six different commercial jobs and this long form thing. Uh, and like, you know, what if they all go and then none of them go, you know, but then there are weeks right. where, where they do all go. So it's weird that I always kind of think of, uh, I'm sure it, there's a lot of careers like this, but directing and, you know, entertainment, especially as a sine wave, of emotionality. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was an engineer, we had, we had the weeks when we released new software and, or when you get a promotion or, you know, when something fun happens, but in general, life is pretty steady. You know, you make the same amount yeah. of money every week. You go to restaurants, you have the weekends off, you have nights, you hang out with your friends, but in film, it's like, I don't know. You just are like so freaking excited and then so disappointed and then so stressed and then so bored, just like back like those. You can be in extreme versions of all those emotions in one day, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, I think I wouldn't trade it for the world. But the one thing that I miss about having uh, like a more traditional job is having a dependable paycheck. Mm -hmm. You know, I've netted out every year making more than I did in my day job. Right. But it's nice. But it might all be in the first three months of the year or the last. It might all be in the first three months. Three weeks of the year. And and so you don't know like, boy, like at this rate, I'm tracking to make, you know, $20,000 annually. Like, (laughs) right. I better go get a day job. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or you could be like, oh, like based off of this math, I'm going to make, you know, a quarter million this year. Right. Right. Like based it, on it's my impossible rate. to know. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So I kind of missed that a little bit. But um, yeah, I think I mean, I'm like a, I, a, I think a pretty even keeled person. Uh, people have compared me to a robot multiple times. And so I think that's why I can handle these like extreme highs and lows. But I think the reason a lot of people just break down in this town or have to have like a day job is because they can't handle the, the ups yeah, and downs, the you know? Sure. Yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about your week. Cause you, you had a lot of ups and downs this past week. What, Boy, what did happened? I? Yeah. I don't know any of the details. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear. So, so I'm trying to think of where to begin. Oh yeah. Yeah. A little context just to give everybody the, the situation I'm on a seven week shoot, right? So, uh, and you're, you're going to start week four next week, right? I'm starting week four next week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're ba- we're at the halfway mark now. And um, it's been really wonderful and really cool. You know, it's neat to have this long of a shoot. You know, it's eight half hour episodes of TV. So uh, so it's a really 
um, tremendous amount of footage to be shooting. Um, and it's mockumentary style. So it mockumentary adds an additional level of pressure because filmmaking builds in kind of like a little bit of a rhythm of like flipping a room and changing new setups and kind of like you have kind of built in breaks where your lighting team has to take over or, you know, something has to happen and you're not involved in it. Right. Right. Like where you can kind of just sit down and like check your email real quick or run lines with an actor or something like that. Mockumentary, you know, we like 360. Basically, once we're up, we're shooting all day. We're basically always ready. Well, so mockumentary, I always think of like it's part of it is floating head interviews. And the other part is like following the people through their environment. mm -hmm. What's your what percentage is of each of those? I would say I'm say we're probably about 10 percent interview. Okay, because the interview part is so controllable and easy, right? From well, a filming it is and it isn't though. We're doing we're doing what you what you would call on the fly interviews. Oh, yeah. OTS. And so you're you're yeah. So you're in the environment basically. So the background is still there. You know, we're I actually really like the style of the interviews that we're doing mm-hmm. um, because they at, the show is really all like handheld and zoomy and all of that. But our our interviews are very wide angle lock offs. Um, and are like use a lot of negative space and kind of have this cool style to them. Really quite in love with them, which is nice. Cool. Um, because normally an, an interview is, you know, not something that you get to add a ton of style to. So I'm really pleased with it. And you're doing but, them uh, at each location? At each location. Yeah, exactly. And you're not worried that you might need to change them in post and now you can't reshoot them or anything? Oh, I'm very worried. Yeah, I'm very, okay, good. I'm very worried. Good. Uh, but you know, we do have a couple more, um, nebulous or modular sort of locations that you can kind of use to do some glue, but because we're crossboarding, you know, we're just kind of banging them all out, um, right in the locations basically. Again, crossboarding means shooting in the order of locations as opposed to the order of the script. Correct. So like we're at a character's house, we're going to, and that house shows up in episodes one, six and eight. We're going to shoot all of those back to back rather than shoot going all back of to episode the house one later. and then go back for episode six, etc. So it's the way that a single director can manage to do everything all at once. And it's a little more cost effective and a little more indie, basically. All of which to say it's a, you know, the act of making a show without anything going wrong is still Herculean. It's really hard. It's really stressful. There's a ton of stuff going on. Um, and so I constantly this last week and a half just kept wishing for it to be the normal level of hardness and for there not to be some sort of cataclysmic catastrophe. Um, but, uh, every single day I had something new, so I'll, I'll go through them cause they're, they're pretty, they're pretty, uh, fun. Um, cool. starting off on, um, the Tuesday after Memorial day. I uh, woke up and was barfing my brains out. Oh, right. And uh, you were sick. I had a terrible stomach flu. Um, and uh, we were shooting on Hollywood Boulevard the first half of the day, which is maybe the worst place to have a stomach flu and need to be shooting. Yeah, not a lot of clean just, restrooms. And no clean restrooms. Kind of smells it bad there anyway. Like crazy. There are like, you know, people who um, aren't the most mentally sound, kind of like swirling around you at all times and of course you still have to direct and deliver a show right um so at at lunch i um did you guys shut down the street 
Uh, no, we did not. We did not. I wanted it to kind of be a little wild and crazy, and um, it was. Are you are you allowed to uh, get people in the background? Well, because it's a mockumentary, I'm going to blur a handful. And we had a, a good number of extras as well. So I had bodies that I, you would kind of strategically place behind your actors that would kind of maintain a level of consistency. And then the kind of extra people that you would see, you'd just blur, basically. Okay, cool. Which is not a bad strategy. I think it'll be fun. And the stuff we got was really good. But uh, I took a nap at lunch and then um, in front of all of my extras, about 40 people in the middle of my set threw up. Um, Did you throw up onto the floor, like into a bag or? Onto the floor, onto the floor, bro. Uh, But you were outside. No, I was inside. I was inside. Were you in a Um, million dollar mansion with lambskin? No, I was, I was in a nightclub, so it wasn't the first time that floor Uh, seen bar, fortunately. Um, But, uh, and, and weirdly enough, it was like a very, stealthy barf i basically i stood up i realized that i wouldn't make it to the bathroom i'd have to run basically all the way to the end of the room and then double back in front of all of the extras who had their bags and their clothing all kind of they were like lounging so i knew there's no way i'd make it right um and uh i covered my mouth up and i um stood up like panicked Mm -hmm. and locked eyes with my dp across the room and I, I saw him mouth, oh, no. <laughs> and then, um, uh, you know, it's one of those ones where it kind of squirts through the seams in your hand. Oh, yeah, I know that one. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to. Anyway, it was disgusting. It was disgusting. And um, basically your nightmare of, of like being sick on set. Right. They say a good um, director DP relationship is where you can just look at each other and know what mm-hmm. you want. What you know what, what you're thinking. thinking. <laughs> yeah. And I guess. Yeah. Uh, I guess you got the barf thought down. Yeah. So, um, was your wife on set? I'll She was on set. She didn't get the bug, hmm. um, which was lucky. I felt better as soon as I cleaned up, um, but still felt pretty bad, you know, yeah. um, made it through the day. We didn't call an insurance day, um, which was kind of the backup plan in case I wasn't going to be able to make it through the day. You know, like, um, but I just kind of like wasn't as active as I normally am, but uh, still did a solid job, actually. Did anyone at any point, like a producer type person say, hey, you seem really sick. Do you want to leave? They, they said that we could could claim an insurance claim, basically. Hmm. Like that's force majeure. That's like, you know, illness is covered under our insurance. It's not it's not force majeure. Right. It just is, I guess it's just illness. Uh, force majeure would be like if the if there was an earthquake. Yeah, or like something. a lightning bolt <laughs> strike. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess a stomach bug is not an act of God, even if it feels like it. Yeah. Um. So, so that was the first day. The next day, um, we were shooting in a mansion, and a poor background driver was driving an Uber for the scene and uh, accidentally Wait. backed into a, it- a tow truck. Okay, so the car was supposed to be an Uber. It wasn't an Uber. It was supposed to be an Uber, yeah. we It was a rental car, basically. We'd rented, like, a black SUV. The character's supposed to get out of the car in front of this mansion and have a conversation. And the driver's um, a SAG actor. The driver's a SAG actor with a, a driver's license. We'd gone through the safety meetings, blah, blah, blah. And it was just not his fault. Just kind of dumb luck. Wait, just kind of. He put it in reverse and <laughs> backed up into I mean, a truck. It, it, it's technically his fault, yes, but like it's a, it's a. You don't want to kick a man luck. while he's down. 
I don't want to kick a man while he's down. Exactly. And it was like, you know, he was on kind of a steep, steep incline. Like if circumstances were slightly different, he would have fixed it in time. Right. But uh, did you get it on film tape video? Uh, I think this Memory was card? in rehearsal even. Yeah, I don't oh. think we even shot it. So um, did you was the car still usable afterwards? It, that was like in the midst of neighbors screaming at us and, uh, you know, weed whackers and we were running behind and we were in high sun and the sun was moving. So we were so I just was like, you know what, just get it out of here. Scrap it. We're moving on. I'm just yeah. going to the character's going to walk around from the corner instead of seeing him get out of the Uber and it'll be fine. I can't tell you how many times on set or in pre-production I've fought for something like we must have 30 extras we must have this the whole thing doesn't work you can't go to a party with six people at it and then we get on set and then like ah shit we can't get these people in the shot okay it's gonna be six people like you're on set and just everything changes you just make it work yeah just you just make it work so the next day one of my lead actors um Mm -hmm. flew to the UK (laughs) unannounced to you Unannounced to me, yeah, yeah. One, of, I would say maybe my fourth lead. Your fourth lead flew. To, yeah, flew out of the left continent, left the country, left the country, and is no longer in the show. Uh, yeah, and I don't. Are uh, they in the I show? Don't. See, this is why you shoot in chronological order, my friend. <laughs> no doubt, homie. No doubt. Uh, that's why I'm always like, if we can shoot in order, let's shoot as much in order because. You would hope that the beginning of the show informs the end of the show, though you're doing episodic stuff. It's a little different, but right. right. So crazy. yeah, so uh, it was crazy. It was totally crazy. I think it was like a kind of um, the result of some contracts, not just not getting ironed out and, you know, people kind of taking their ball and going home. I don't really it's on a need to know basis. And I really didn't want to know, frankly, because um, I had to deal with other things writing a show and making it work and all of that other stuff and so rather than like get embroiled in the drama i think everyone just kind of understood that i was going to be execution oriented and i was going to make it work and like if that's the situation that's the situation right you executed a few people yeah executed a few people yeah what is the was this one of the non-actors yes and just last week we talked about things that non-actors do sometimes (laughs) Yeah, which is yeah. they and don't realize because that every that for the past month you've planned every single moment around them being there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a tricky, tricky situation. It, it's super, super tricky, and like you know, like we always say, the show must go on. So I cut a couple scenes, we rewrote a few scenes, we added a new character, and we were back up and running the next day. We we didn't skip a beat. We didn't skip a beat. Nice. Um, and then the show will be better for it, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, you the fortunate thing about Talking Heads is that you can kind of, in a pinch, do some tell, not show, right? And kind right. of just explain where we are narratively. And so we did that, basically. We just kind of like, in the most elegant way possible, just kind of recrafted the episodes a little bit. And I, I would be surprised if viewers really noticed the, the change too much. Yeah. I think it just feels like a new, a new direction for the show. And it's like, um, you know, party down, uh, had Megan Mullally, Jennifer Coolidge and Jane Lynch all basically playing the same character. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. 
and they're all equally great. I mean, ob- right. they're obviously like so talented and um, bringing their own thing. So, you know, but I just kind of reminded myself of that and, and we we made it work. Um, and I think that was hold on. So Tuesday I'm barfing uh, Wednesday car accident Thursday. You lose one of your leads. Lose one of my leads. Have you ever seen Friday. Lost in La Mancha, that documentary? I have seen Lost in La Mancha. Highly yeah, recommended to anyone that listens to this podcast. Yeah. It's and about that, this so that's, pretty much. It's about this. Yeah. It's about uh, Terry Gilliam trying to make Don Quixote. He just rapped, by the way. It's been 17 years he's been trying to make Don Quixote. Are you serious? He just, he just like a week ago. With Johnny rapped. Depp? I, mean, I don't know if it ultimately ended up with Johnny Depp, but he wrapped the movie he's been trying to make for 17 years. Wow. Mazel tov. Yeah. Well done, Terry. Um, so on Friday, this is, in comparison is not as bad, but on Friday uh, we had a bunch of picture cars show up, but they kind of came through a hookup, right? Like, uh, you know, we have like sports cars, basically. They're super expensive. It's like we had a million dollars worth of cars sitting in the driveway. And whenever you get like a hookup rather than just kind of renting it, whether it's a camera or a picture car or whatever, whenever you're dealing with a company that's not well versed in filmmaking, um, you're kind of asking for it, basically. So, you know, they showed up a little bit late and it, their predictions on how long it would take to place the cars and who's allowed to drive them, yada, 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 just took much, much longer than normal. And then... As a result, we staged some scenes that were going to take place in the driveway and those had to be moved. And so it's kind of more standard production woes of just like unpredictable aspects of the production sort of popping up and having to deal with it. And as a result, just cutting into your production day in a really significant way and then having to wrap out of location. Right. And then that following Monday, um, my actor and star pulled his back. Um, back. Walk. Like, what does that mean? You can't walk anymore? Couldn't walk. Couldn't walk. Yeah, he was playing soccer. Maybe he slipped a disc. Maybe he just um, had a muscle spasm, but could not show up to set. And he's a, an actor who's basically in almost every single scene. Wow. Um, so how did you get out of that? So we were at a, a location, the SLS Hotel, which Ooh, is a really fancy. incredible location. It's super fancy. It was our most expensive location by far. Um. And I kind of that week had decided, like, this really needs to be a fancy restaurant that we're shooting in. Um, We're going into a really hard art week the the following that week. So, like, I wanted to make it easy on my art team because they had other things to worry about. And so this space basically came dressed. We could use all of their flatware and all of this stuff. And it was going to be worth it. It was going to be cool. So it was like one of those times where I was like, let's spend the money and make it awesome. And then, you know, like I said, my actor um, couldn't be there. And so right. we just, we moved a bunch of the other dates that were going to be in the show to that day, cast all of those roles that morning and shot the scenes. Wow. That was the morning yeah. you decided to not cast my wife. Well, I <laughs> cast my wife instead. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. That was part of the plan, actually. So it was nice that she was available and easy, but like... Otherwise, kind of this idea of like, like the faster, pretty much the faster you need to cast, the more likely you can get your friends cast. Right. Like, hey, are you doing anything? Yeah, Yeah. there were a couple people that I texted that if they were up at seven in the morning would be on set. Right. Yeah. There's this. It's weird, you know, especially being a director married to an actress that 
once there's just so much business and kind of preconceived stuff about casting like how many well okay we will consider her but how many followers does she have on twitter how many viewers does mm-hmm. she have on youtube or what else has she been in like all that stuff that comes into play and when it, you're trying to cast like your friends or your wife or something people start suspecting you so you try mm-hmm. to downplay it like oh well it's not a big deal i don't really care and then somebody will just fight harder for somebody else you know right uh, yeah this was more of a situation of like our friends coming in to save our butts because right. I had so when it's that situation, you know, ten, when it's like tens of thousands of dollars already spent that would just get flushed down the toilet. Right when it's like we need to cast someone today, that's when you get you're like, well, I know these amazing actors, but will do me a favor. Yeah, exactly. And if you set it up like that, I think it's a lot easier to, to cast. Then, people. then you're saving the day. Yeah, totally. Uh, and they're helping you out in a significant way. No, I mean they're all great actors too. It's not like they're bad for the project. It's just. There's a negotiation as a director where you're negotiating with producers and people, other people. You want the steady cam, but you also want to cast your the person you want. Like sometimes you might have to just choose one or the other. Right. Right. So you have to win some battles and lose others. But well, that sounds insane. So you still feel good about the show though, I'm assuming. I'm I assuming still feel you're good contractually about the show. Uh, Homie, obligated I'm not done to say yet. that you do feel good about it, even if you didn't. I, I ain't done though. So the next day, oh. we go out to Acton. Okay, Ohio. Which is, <laughs> no, that's Akron. No, Acton, which is uh, the, uh, the like a small desert town out sort of near uh, Magic Mountain, North, okay. North LA, and build a, like a Burning Man meets Coachella music festival. Oh, yes, yes. I remember. Um, which is which was the thing that I, the, I had mentioned earlier that art I was really worried about my art team because they had to be out in the full sun building a music festival and right. those two days uh, we had full stunts like I had I drove I, I totaled a golf cart um, on purpose and on purpose yep I had like full stunts how much does that cost you know um, about two thousand bucks plus stunt performers so not okay. not as much as you'd think actually because I wanted to do it digitally. And like my producers were like, hey, man, it's going to look better and ultimately be cheaper probably if we just buy a golf cart and fuck it up. Yeah. And how long does it take on set to do all that stuff? I mean, it's way faster than shooting a bunch of plates. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And like and then people can react in real time and all that stuff. It was fun. It was really fun. It looks way cooler. It looks way cooler. And it's funny because I think you and I both kind of come from that background of knowing how to do things digitally and sort of defaulting to it because it feels like it's safer and more controlled and like a thing that we know how to do. And so it's that same thing where you're like, well, am I going to spend six hours getting this one crash or will I spend 15 minutes, you know, doing it off camera or whatever I have to do so that I can get through this eight pages of dialogue I need to do. Right. Exactly. So that we kind of like I realized, oh, the opposite is actually the the right, fast, cheap way to do it. And so that's what we did. And it was super fun. Um, but we had windstorms both days in mm. the middle of the day. So so we shot basically up until noon or one. And then all of the stage pieces and the scaffolding and the black curtains and the skirting and the VIP tents that my art team had spent a day and a half building we're all blowing away and i've got you know 60 extras kind of out in the sun baking and um so we had to rewrite scenes to put them inside and i had to do 
there's an Instagram photo I have of like um, cheating an entire crowd of people by laying them down on their backs and having them put their hands in the air while I shoot up basically into the sky as a band is performing. Right. Um, Wait, they're laying them on their backs? The band is on, is basically ground level. All of my background is on their backs. So it looks like they're, you know, six feet below where the band is. And then I dug a hole in the desert and put the camera in there to shoot up at them. Oh, and you're allowed to dig holes in the desert? Yeah. I mean, like, it's just like the sand, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. Where I shot my Burning Man thing, you like literally could not put one tent stake in the ground. Yeah, we we would throw stakes in it and stuff all the time. So it wasn't as big a deal, I guess. Did you have to deal with wind on your stuff? Um, a little bit. Oh, yeah. You know what? We had this like tent, like a, some sort of hippie tent where like the love triangle, right. uh, whatever it was, the love tent. The, the, the cuddle puddle. The cuddle puddle. Yes, that's what it was. And we built this like tent, you know, it was made out of like production tents, you know, those pop up tents. But we put instead of the fabric that you get from the rental place we put like a bunch of kind of you know like funky patterns patterns. yeah Yeah. fabric and it got so windy we literally had to have like four grips dressed kind of like as extras just holding it down because it it was like flying up into the air um not to mention the sound was like completely unusable yeah that that was our situation as well yeah but it wasn't there weren't really sandstorms and stuff yeah we actually added our sandstorms in post (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Well, uh, lucky you because the sand a sandstorm is no fun. It's yeah, no fun. Um, but ultimately, I'm having a ton of fun actually. And the I'm, footage, the footage out in the for Coachella looks awesome. Actually, and what are you shooting on Alexa? Uh, we're shooting Alexa Mini. Yeah, cool. One yeah, camera or two cameras? Two camera with zoom lenses. Zoom, zoom lenses and then Zeiss Super Speeds uh, when we're doing our talking the interviews yeah cool um i actually just thought of one other interesting thing that happened this week that i thought maybe it's kind of related to this just to maybe we can talk about just for a few minutes which is i had a friend call me she was about to direct 10 episodes of some digital series similar to this type of thing but Mm -hmm. real much shorter episodes like five minute episodes and she was going to start shooting, go into production on Tuesday. And she called me on Saturday or on Sunday morning. And she said, Hey, Oren, I don't think I want to direct this anymore. Would you be interested in taking over? Uh, To make a long story short about that side of things, I was not interested uh, ultimately. And they they figured it out that pretty much the writer is directing it. Whoa. Um, But what was interesting to me, this director that dropped out of this show is a really good director she's done giant commercials that you've seen and stuff um and you know had won film festivals and everything but the realization that she did not want to direct the show why it came so late is because she was working on her shot list and she's like she's a real visual director she's got a real Mm -hmm. eye for telling a story with images And she had been fighting to kind of get the script shorter the whole time. Like, let's pull out dialogue. Let's just make this a little bit more show, not tell, you know. And she they they did it a little bit. But to some degree, it was still kind of a longer script than she wanted. And as she was shot listing, she realized, well, okay, this scene is like five Mm -hmm. pages of dialogue or three pages of dialogue. And I have five hours to shoot it. So I'm going to have to do like a wide shot and a medium shot and a couple close ups and some inserts. 
and she kept going scene to scene to scene and she's like, wow, there's so much dialogue. I got to do the same thing again. I, now I have to get through these three pages in four hours. How am I going to, okay, I'm going to have to do the same thing. Again. And she realized as she was shot listing that her voice and style and brand was not compatible with shooting so much dialogue every single day of the shoot. She said to me, she's like, I just, that's just not how I shoot stuff. I don't just do like wide shots and medium shots. That's not how I tell stories. And I just don't think this project is right for me because looking at how much I have to shoot and the amount of time I have to shoot it, this is the only way to shoot it, you know? Right. Wide right, shot, totally. medium close-ups. So I thought it was real interesting because it's a dilemma that I have all the time and I'm always wondering how other directors get over it. And on one hand, it's a crazy thing that she, you know, dropped out of a project two days before it starts shooting. But on the other hand, I'm like, wow, that's kind of really cool that you know yourself and your voice so well mm -hmm. that well enough to quit something. Yeah. Yeah. Because you realize you can't shoot it. And I don't know. It's just something I know I talked about on the podcast all the time. But this idea that like scenes with a ton of dialogue are really hard to cover cinematically. Yeah. You know, my friend Avi was just in a dinner scene that had 10 people in it. He had, he, it was a really short scene. It was like one page and he thought that he would get in and out in like three or four hours. They spent like 14 hours shooting it. Yeah, and it's not, I'm sure it's not shot any different than any other director would shoot it because those scenes where a ton of people are talking to each other, you, there's only just a few ways of shooting them efficiently. And so my takeaway is making something cinematic and making something dialogue heavy tend to be the opposites of each other. Unless you're like, you know, Fincher and Aaron Sorkin and The Social Network, or there's certain ways you can use the dialogue heaviness to your advantage stylistically. But in general, a lot of dialogue makes things less cinematic. Yeah, it's tricky. All you writers I mean, out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I love dialogue, but I also uh, am less hung up on the quote-unquote cinematic nature of the, the stuff that I'm making in those circumstances, you know, like right, there's, right. No, there's, there's always no right or wrong way. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But there are, I've, I mean, I myself have been in many, many situations where I have all these ideas for cool shots and we don't, you at just, the end of the day, yeah. I see how much we have to shoot and how much time we have and just have to throw them all out the window and again, shoot I think, talking. yeah, that's why defining your voice. I mean, with comedy, you know, it's a little different, but it's also why we don't know, like, like the famous comedic directors that there aren't that many of them for starters. Right. And the ones that are famous, like a Woody Allen or, uh, I mean, who else? Paul Feig. It's not even that famous. Probably half the people on our podcast don't know who he is. Right. And he's no, made true. some of the biggest comedies of our times. It's just really hard to define yourself as a director that way. Yep. No, it's tricky. It's tricky. But there's a huge desire for it. I always like get commercial jobs where they're like, yeah, we were just like looking for a comedy director. And in my mind, it's like, isn't everyone a comedy director? Especially nowadays, yeah. everyone that's come up through YouTube probably started in comedy because that's like what works right. on YouTube. But yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. And one more totally unrelated thing. Have you seen Wonder Woman? I have not. No, I haven't seen anything. Dude, I think I think it's really good. In case you were wondering, you'll probably yeah, hate it. No, that, that, that's the rumor on the street is that it's good. I'm excited to see it. I'm, I'm, I was trying to see something this weekend, but I was like emotional watching it. 
and it's not a perfect movie. There's a lot of sure. dumb parts and things that are like, where did that come from? And that, I don't know, that's a little cheesy, but there's something like so sincere about Gal Gadot, the mm-hmm. lead actress yeah, who you wouldn't expect to be a great actress. And she's also really funny because mm. I feel like insanely beautiful and Israeli, which is, you know, what I am, um, and funny and really good at action. Like you usually don't find someone that can do all those things. Yeah. Yeah. But I really liked it. And then on top of that, there was like kind of this emotional hook, uh, that it's not just that she's a female superhero and it's a female director. I think there's something just about the approach that her character has to problems she sees and how she wants Mm -hmm. to solve them is just a lot different than how a Tony Stark or a, you know, Peter Parker would approach it or a Thor, especially, you know, and there's, there's just something that really worked about that movie. So I'm excited for you to see it. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm, um, I've really been craving the, um, just the ritual of going to a movie theater actually. Yeah. Well Um, go to the Vista. If you guys, if any of you guys live in LA, you gotta go to the Vista because the Arclight costs 1750 per ticket plus a dollar if you want to buy it online. And the Vista, when we went, matinee was six fifty a ticket. We got two tickets for yeah. thirteen dollars. And it's a you know, I mean, look, let's turn that into an endorsement for just your local cinema in general, right? Like the your AMC's are. are or your regals are great for certain things, but there's something really incredible about having a, you know, a mom and pop movie theater and they are the lifeblood of cinema. So go check that out. Um, and the Vista being my very favorite, but if you're in a big town, I bet you probably have a good one out there. Yeah. And what's um, cool about the Vista is they do, it's a first run movie theater. Like, so when Wonder Woman comes out, they have it the Thursday night, you know, yeah. they have the big movies. It's not the movies, only the movies that have been out yeah. for three months. Yeah, and, and the uh, the manager, you know, dresses up. You know, there's plenty of leg room. It is really, really a wonderful, wonderful space. Just kind of to wrap up before we get into our listener questions, I think the big lesson that I had was, you know, in spite of like major rewrites or illness or catastrophe, you know, the director's job is to kind of keep the the ship moving and pressing on. And it was a hard, it's been a hard show even without all of those things, right? Like you just never have enough prep time or, you know, it's just a challenge to do basically two features back to back. That's kind of what it comes down to with, in terms of our page count. You have to deal with it. And so the nice thing about it is that like I've been in a car accident before and I wasn't in this one. I barfed before. I've had to rewrite things before I've had to change actors before. And like, I think that there's real power in knowing that you can do that stuff and, um, come through the other side and I'm having more fun and getting better footage than ever before. And so it's, there's going to be a time where, you know, it may not literally be that problem that you run up against, but you're going to run up, run up against something that's going to feel insurmountable. Um, and, uh, I promise you can get through it. You can surmount it. Yeah. I mean, I, I've actually never, I haven't heard many stories where the shoot did not go on, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's got, so, it's got to be pretty bad for it to not go on. Well, awesome. I'm glad. I, I'm super excited to see your show one of these days if you ever finish shooting it. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to. Um, well, 
Let, I think let's just talk about one listener email. Matt and I uh, had asked if we had any female listeners. We had our friend Carlin, who's been on the show, emailed us and said that she listens. But I didn't really feel like that counted because she's our friend. But we had another email from Nicole Sylvester. She says, I'm an, I'm an African-American female filmmaker, over 40, based in New York. I make a living as a union production coordinator and indie feature film producer and line producer, but my goal is to make a living directing. I love your podcast. And she wrote some other things. So, A, that's awesome. Hell yeah. Uh, and so she lives in New York, but is interested in becoming bicoastal, which, you know, we're big encouragers of. It's funny. I just feel like I've been listening to a lot of Making Movies is Hard, their podcast. Sure. And just this L.A. question is comes up on every single episode. And I never realized how much of a pro move to L.A. type person I was. And I never realized how much people get annoyed by that <laughs> that don't live in L.A. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just our experience that I think here is where most of the work is. But anyway, it doesn't mean anything. But she did have one question which was, she said, I don't have a specific film-related question, but I would like to know how and why you started your podcast. I would love to start one, but then I wonder if that's another form of procrastination since I have several projects that I'm developing, writing, and in need of funding. Thoughts would be appreciated. So we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's been like literally like 55 episodes since we've talked about it. So maybe just as a refresher, uh, for me, the reason I really wanted to do this podcast is because the farther I get in my career, the harder it is to get projects off the ground. I used to make a lot of stuff for fun myself, YouTube videos, and just put things out into the world. But now I'm always balancing the budget and the job. And is it worth me spending my time doing on it, doing it? And should I write this script if this type of thing isn't that popular right now? But with the podcast, uh, it's just something that we can record and put it into the world and not really worry about it much. And to me, it, it fulfills this missing part of me that I have from filmmaking, which is putting, making things quickly and putting them out into the world and interacting with people in a way. Uh, and so that's, that's why I really wanted to make this podcast. Aside from the fact that it's like, I, I want to talk about things that I would have loved to hear about when I first started trying to become a director. Yeah, I mean, I think just just to pile on that, I think uh, the other thing that I remember really noticing, maybe I've told this story, maybe not, but I had a, a director friend, uh, Sam Zwiebelman, who um, directed uh, that CISO series, Take My Wife. Um, okay. And there's a super by talented Rodney Dangerfield. Guy. <laughs> yeah, by Rodney Dam Dangerfield. No, Carmen, uh, Cameron Esposito's show, Take My Wife. Okay. Uh, it's great. It's really good. Uh, and Sam is like a super talented writer. We were in a writer's group together and I had him come be an extra in uh, the party episode of season uh, two of Squares film. And just as a favor, just as a solid, um, because, you know, at the time I didn't have the money to pay extras and stuff. And the like, he had a great look and all of that. And I remember talking to him and him saying like that he was having just the best time. So I, I kind of had gone over to apologize about how maybe we were running behind or something like that. And he was like, no, I'm having a great time. I never get to watch other directors direct, you know, and mm -hmm. it, it struck me. I was like, oh, that's true. Like, it's pretty rare that you get to be on another director set and just watch them work and like see what they do, see how you would do it and just kind of be a fly on the wall. And in that case, he, you know, literally was hanging out on a wall. Um, right. <laughs> as the scenes were going. And, um, you know, that really just stuck with me and struck me as like something 
you know, powerful. And I, th- and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be able to hang out with directors that we admire and like and who are in our circles, but that you maybe don't get the sort of quality time to talk about the craft with, you know? Like, we all mm-hmm. shoot the shit, but it's pretty rare that you get to um, talk to a director about what they like doing or not, or their, their approach in a meaningful way. You know, I feel like we would mostly just talk about the business side. Like, oh, were you up for that right. job? What have you been working on? Have you worked with this company? Can I get an intro? Did you like working with them? That sort of stuff. That's the standard shop talk that, like, if you run into somebody, you get to talk to them about. But, like, having a more meaningful conversation just seemed like um, a really exciting thing to do and to build a habit out of. Yeah. I mean, I do love talking about this stuff. And, like, I've met so many directors, like, randomly where someone will be like, oh, yeah, I'm a director. I do things. I'm like, really? Me too. What kind of stuff do you direct? And I start drilling them with full of questions and they're like, whoa, dude, back off. Like, I barely know you. This is a forum where I can do that. You get to do that. Yeah. People can't tell me to back off because I I don't know. I just like love tips and tricks and hearing what people do and how people made it and all that stuff. I don't know. I, I just love talking about it. So. I don't know if that was a satisfying answer, Nicole, but that's that's why we do it. Uh, if you want to start a podcast, you should. I think the number one thing is like not worry about the audience at first, which is something that we really haven't done. I don't mean like obviously we want our listeners to like the show, but yeah, we we're care not, about like, the audience, but we're not worried we, about the size of the audience. Yeah, we're not like obsessed with like marketing and like how to get more people to listen to it because it's it's an outlet for us, and if people enjoy it, we that's even better and. Obviously, the more we interact with you guys, we the better for us also, because it just makes our conversations more meaningful. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, Nicole. If you want to check Nicole out, you can go to NicoleSylvesterFilms.com. It's N-I-C-O-L-E. Sylvester is S-Y-L-V-E-S-T-E-R. Films with an S.com. NicoleSylvesterFilms.com. And she actually said uh, that she's redoing her website. Um, and that she loves our websites, which is actually the second time this week that I got a compliment about my website, even though we all have like the same Squarespace template. Oh, nice, uh, man. Yeah. So we had some a f- friend of mine that recommended me to this production company was like, yeah, you're really easy to pitch because your website looks good. And I was like, what? It's just like a Squarespace site. It looks like everyone else's website. So anyway, guys, <laughs> you mentioned this before, Matt, Squarespace should be paying us, but they don't. But uh, yeah, just just check out our sites. They're nothing amazing, but they're really simple, and I think people respond to that. Anyway, let's uh, let's get you to sleep so that you can shoot tomorrow. But before I'm we a do real that, sleepyhead. That is true. Uh, shall we endorse? Yes. Let's get to our unpaid endorsements. Endorsements. Or you got anything you want? This is a. It's not really an endorsement for a product or anything, but it's a. Uh, I think on occasion it's nice to give a little tidbits about filming and things. When I did this thing with Jack Black and Sarah Silverman and all those those people this past week, we literally got Jack Black for 15 minutes and Sarah Silverman for 10 minutes. And this includes the like saying hello, telling them what the project is, Liking showing them, them the two minute yeah, reference yeah. video, yeah, makeup, sitting over here. Da, da. So what does that mean? That means you have like five minutes of them on camera. And you don't know what they're going to wear when they're coming in. The producer said I wasn't allowed to give them direction on wardrobe because they were doing us this huge favor. And so you just have to be ready for it. And so just one thing that this is 
uh, what I always think is when you're shooting with women, especially if they're over the age of 18, you light them if you want them to look good very differently than you light men. It's just something that probably almost everyone listening to this knows, but just in case you're making your own stuff at home and you're wondering like why, you know, you're playing around with lighting. Like to me, you always light women that are over the age of 20 with big, soft light from the front. The idea with the women's faces is like you want to see as little detail as possible. Now, I'm not talking about like a gritty indie film. I'm talking about like someone looking at the camera and saying something and looking pretty. Uh, you want to fill in all the wrinkles, all the creases, any detail in their face, skin blemishes with light. So it all looks like one solid thing. With men, you do, you know, big soft light, but you bring it from the side a little bit um, and maybe bounce some light back on the other side to fill it in. But with men, you want to see like the shadows that their face forms. You want to see the stubble of their beard. You want to see mm-hmm. the wrinkles, you know, in their forehead yeah, you know, pick, if you picture like a, what's his name? The dude. Uh, oh, Jeff Bridges? If you, yeah, picture like Jeff Bridges or someone like that, you know, or, or even a George Clooney or, or Brad Pitt. There's something about seeing all the details of their face that makes them feel manly, for lack of a better word. Um, and you get that from lighting from the side. So just a general note um, is... When you don't have a lot of time and you want someone to look good, big soft light from the side for men and big soft light from the front for women. And obviously, it's always nice to put the lens like at their eye line, eye height or a little bit above. Yeah, I like to put women a, a tiny bit above. Everyone looks better when it's above. But in general, especially when you're working with celebrities, like they're very sensitive about what they look like. Um, and they'll have like a team of people looking at the monitor with you, making sure they look good. So just, you know, just a little tip. Save it, yourself a little bit My of time. version. Yeah, some people might disagree, but that's that's what I do. Solid, man. Well, um, my endorsement is a little bit different. Uh, have you heard of the Impossible Burger, Oren? Uh, no, I have not. The, impo- the Impossible Burger is a veggie burger. That's meant to taste exactly like a oh. beef burger. They have them yes. at Umami Burger that, now. Yes. I actually know an investor. Oh, really? In it. Yes. Now that I forgot that it was called that. Um, but yes, it's like, doesn't it kind of have like the juicy inside and stuff? It's got the juicy inside. Yeah. I think there's like a little bit of beet in there or something, but it's all plant-based uh, and it tastes pretty darn good. Um, so. Yeah. They're at a mommy burger, which is like a, a chain in Los Angeles where you can kind of all over town. So, um, but I bet they're everywhere else as well. I think you can try out the impossible burger. Um, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm, I've been meaning to try it. I've heard a lot about it. Cool, man. Well, I will definitely taste it. Uh, um, I, you know, and I have a more film related non Los Angeles one as well. Have I talked about the Mark Romanic? A documentary on his director's label DVD. No. So Lance Bangs, who you know is a documentarian and director who does like a lot of the kind of behind the scenes of like the anonymous content st- directors. So like he he did the behind the scenes on you know being John Malkovich. You know he's buddies with all of those dudes, Spike and, and Michelle right. Gondry and all those guys. So he did one uh, on Mark Romanek and. Um, I think he Mark Romanix is probably the best music video director of all time. I think he's the most meticulous and uh, visionary of them all. And um, okay, 
and he is uh, demanding in a, in a way that uh, is really inspiring to me. And so I like to revisit that documentary every once in a while. It's about 45 minutes and it's on YouTube. So you don't have to have the DVD if you um, are down to just pirate it. But, you know, it's mostly so what's just, it called? It's, the Mark Romanek? Um, the work of director Mark Romanek, director's label series, is the first hit on YouTube. It's uh, 38 minutes. What it reminds me of is like he is uncompromising in terms of his vision in a way that, you know, you see it on screen. Like the, his videos are all like each aesthetic is so fully formed and so thought through and so original and great. Um, but, you know, he talks about in that documentary, like he doesn't care if people have a good time on set. He would prefer it if they do. But uh, mm-hmm. he's going to make Gwen Stefani slosh around in cold water in a oil tanker in Long Beach and make in front of a 16 millimeter camera, or he's going to blast Trent Reznor with compressed air while a monkey screams in the background. And there's a pig's head spinning around with hand crank cameras. He's going to do that. And it's going to be fucking incredible. And no one's ever going to have second guess it afterwards. It's cojones. It's cojones. And it's the sort of stuff that like, um, I in particular have a hard time doing sometimes. I want people to have a good time. I want people to like me. I want to people please mm-hmm. a little bit. And Mark Romanek would like it if they liked him, but he does not really give a fuck. And uh, that's pretty inspiring to me. Um, cool. Well, I'll check it out. Yeah, check it out. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you have a good upcoming week, Matt, shooting. Hopefully we'll find some time to record another episode next weekend. But if uh, anyone that listens to this has any thoughts, questions, opinions, please email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can check out our website at justshootitpodcast.com. Hopefully it's going to be updated as fast as the episodes come out. It's been a little tricky lately. And you can find our show on Twitter at justshootitpod. I'm at smiteypyleg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. Music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. This episode was edited by Christopher Gray, who is uh, also an actor, does voiceover, and a great guy all around. Check out his website at ChristopherRobertGray.com. It's Gray with an A. Chris, and he's on Twitter at Christo Gray. Gray with an A. Okay, cool. Well, uh, we will catch you guys on the flip side. Thanks, everyone. Talk soon. Bye.